0: Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitzins YouTube page or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. May this class be for a full shalema for Rachel Devorah Bachoshana. I am honored to have on today's show Rebbitzin Braha Bender. Racha is the founder and director of 100 Fun Things, an organization dedicated to help Jewish women have more fun through events, trips, and a popular 14-week course called The Artist's Way that enables women to develop the resources and the support they need to do what they love. She's married to Rabbi Jonas and Bender, a psychotherapist and rabbi in Jerusalem. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so, First of all, it's a huge honor to be invited. I was looking through some of the big names you've had on your podcast and I marked a whole lot of them to listen to myself later because these are some really special people. So I think you're doing a huge service. Um, Thank you so I just love supporting Jewish women to be themselves. I think that we are filled with amazing, magical, wondrous resources um, from our incredible emotional capacity to care for our children and our homes and our marriages and one another um, to the incredible gifts that Hashem has given each of us as individuals, which differ from person to person. Um, And it is just my most exciting thing to help
0: women uh, be more and more themselves. That's so beautiful. And you're right, because each one of us individually as women was given talents and skills and abilities by Hashem. And then through through those talents, skills and abilities, we shine. And the fact that you helped Women unlock that potential and unlock their inner light is amazing. So uh, it's I, I really admire you for the work that you do. Thank you
1: very much. Yes.
0: So today we're actually going to be talking about a holiday. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the Jewish holiday of Purim, which is coming up soon. And there's so much to say about this holiday. It has so much richness and depth that can be found beneath the surface of the story. So today we're going to get into all that depth and meaning. But first, let's start at the beginning. Can you please tell us the story of Purim? Sure.
1: You know, it's funny. I was just telling uh, my daughter, my five-year-old, Tamima, this story on our couch. And I explained to her that there was an evil king named Achashverosh, and he had a big party to show everybody that he had conquered the Jewish people and taken all of the beautiful things from our Arbeis HaMikdash and was using them to do to do frivolous and crass things. And uh, he said he wanted all the Jews to come in order to show off to them how he had gotten them. And so that's where we started. And her little eyes got big, and she said, "What happens next?" And so, you know, the story of Purim could be told for uh, you know many hours, or it could be told for five minutes. So, which version are you
0: looking for? <laughs> um, well, you know, let's start like let's start with like a basic overview because there, I mean. Many Jews are familiar with the story, but for, for those who really aren't, like I really do want to give them a foundation. So let's give like a good overview of the story. And then we're gonna dive deep into the themes of Purim, into the deeper meaning of Purim by them. So let's just get started with an overview.
1: Sure, sure. Well, uh, what happened in, Por- uh, in, uh, in Shushan, which is a city that is now looking at what would be somewhere around modern Persia, I believe, Persia, um, would be uh, that essentially, uh, there was there was a monarch uh, named in Hebrew. I forget the English name, the anglicized name, really. Um, I mean, whatever it sounded like in Babylonian is that would be the more accurate version. But I don't know Babylonian. Um, and he did come to power. And he was celebrating his conquest. Um, and he invited the Jewish people to uh, a feast that he had celebrating his conquests, including taking over the Jewish people and decimating uh, decimating our ability to live in our own homeland and uh, and and our 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 access um, our access to our own uh, kind of you know our rituals and our temple and so on. He was part of a, a a chain of people who had achieved this. It wasn't him on his own. It was you know he was he was part of a legacy of destruction really when it came to the Jewish people. Yes. Um, and so we, as a nation, faced a choice. Uh, you know, the the regular average Joe Jewish guy, which was um, go to this go to this festival held by the government, um, and and uh, or 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 refuse to go to the festival. You know, standing up for standing up for our our pride as a Jew and uh, really for what's right, uh, and risk being killed. And that was a very serious decision. Yeah. And the majority of the uh, Jewish uh, leadership at the time said you should probably go to the festival because you're not supposed to die. <laughs> you're not supposed to die. And, uh, you know, but for most things, life comes first when it comes to Jewish, Jewish practice and law. Um, but there was one uh, kind of outlier when it came to Jewish leadership, and his name was uh, Mordechai, And he said, don't go. He said, don't go. Um, he was really kind of an isolated opinion. So most of the Jews did go. And it turned out that was the wrong call. Um, and the outcome of that was that uh, an advisor named Haman came to power and he, he wanted to kill the Jews. He was, he was really the Hitler of his time. Yeah. And he, he essentially paid Ahasuerus to be given the right to um, send memos to all of the different uh, you know, military forces and police forces uh, and just the general public at that time. Um, and letting them know that there were particular days set aside where they could actually they could actually murder as many Jews as they want and take their take their belongings. Um, and so the Jewish people immediately went into a state of terror, a state of mourning, and a state of tshuva, a state of really realizing they'd made the wrong call and they needed to they needed to reclaim their Jewish identity on a very deep level. And um, all, while all this was happening, kind of on the on the on the metal level uh on the you know macro level on the micro level uh there was sort of this Subplot occurring, but this was history, you know, which was that Achashverosh at this same festival had murdered his wife. <laughs> he had called his wife Vashti and said, "I'd like you to dance naked before me and uh, all of my buddies, all my drunk buddies," and she refused. Um, it's really ambiguous whether she was doing that out of a sense of her own dignity or whether it was for other other reasons. She's really an ambiguous character there. Most agree she wasn't wasn't doing it for very good reasons, but there's some opinions otherwise. You can read it, you know, in different ways. And uh, in any case. She doesn't come and he has her killed off with her head. And, uh, after a few, after, I don't know, weeks, months, whatever it is, he decides he wants another woman in his life. And so he has his beliefs forces forcibly gather, uh, every attractive woman, uh, in his kingdoms. And, uh, one of them, uh, is named Esther. She's actually named Hadassah. Um, that's her Jewish name, but, uh, but she's called Esther and she, um, she, she, does not want to go. <laughs> she does not want to go to the palace of this like horrifying maniac who murders women and is just not, but uh, she's forced to go. And uh, she is the niece of Mordechai, one of the Jewish leaders at the time, the one who said, don't go to this, this festival. And Mordechai says to her, listen, don't tell anyone you're Jewish. Don't tell anyone your identity. We don't even know why yet in that part of that point in the story. But off she goes. And um, out of all the women that Achashverosh is essentially raping, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Yeah. Um. She is the one selected to be queen. And uh, you know, when when children are told the story, it's like, oh, and Esther became the queen, yay! But it's actually, kind of like you know, the the little darker than that when you look at the 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 actual history here. Yes. Um. So so. There's a third, there's a second subplot, which is while all this is going on, Mordecai, her uncle, is kind of hanging around as close to the palace gates as he can uh, to kind of find out, okay, how's Esther doing, what's going on with his niece, because obviously he's very worried. And, um, and he overhears, he overhears a plot uh, between two fellows who are part of the, you know, palace staff, uh, Big Sun and Teresh, to murder the king, and he reports this, and, uh, and he saves the king's life. Okay, that's noted in their legal documents of the time, and that's sort of like set aside. Um, another thing that's going on while Mordecai is hanging around the palace gates is that Haman, who's risen to power, is demanding everyone to bow uh, when they see him, and um, most people do. Again, because generally Jewish law does say you don't you don't you 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 choose life uh, over most commandments um, if it's a choice between dying for something or fulfilling a Torah commandment, generally continuing to live comes first. But uh, Mordechai says, nope, this is different. And unlike most people all the time, he won't bow. And uh, this makes Haman crazy because Haman is a narcissistic, looney tunes, megalomaniac. Um, And uh, and so that's going on, all that's flying. One day Mordechai, all these plots kind of come together in this key moment in the Megillah and I, I love sitting in shul, hearing the Megillah every year. I will never get over how crazy this story is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's a great, it's a great story. And it really happened. It's just, so Mordecai approaches Esther. And he says to her, listen, you're the queen now. And who knows, who knows whether this was the moment for which you came to power. You might not know this, but there is a, um, essentially there's a Holocaust being planned. Um, and Esther, you have the chance to try to stop it. You need to go to the king and you need to you need to ask him to reveal, revoke this decree. And Esther, Esther doesn't say no. I, w- I don't know if I would say no. I mean, <laughs> she says, listen, the way it works in the palace is that um, this guy's nuts. Anyone who approaches Achashverosh and hasn't been summoned to him uh that they, they generally get killed. Like that's considered disrespectful to the king. And I myself haven't been summoned for 30 days, over 30 days. And Mordechai says, the most powerful enemy it gives me, it gives me chills. It gives me chills. He says, listen, it, if you don't do this, if you don't try to save the Jewish people, then redemption and relief will come to the Jewish people from some other place. But you and your legacy will mean nothing. You'll perish. And it's just the craziest moment because Esther realizes like life is not about continuing to live. Life is about the meaning that living has. 100%. She she says, All right, I'm gonna do it, but 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 spend three days praying, fasting like reconnecting with God as deeply as you can, everybody, the Jewish people, and then I'll go. And, and it's so powerful. There's a, one of the, one of the Psalms in Tehillim, um, most of them are written by King David, but one is said to be written by her. And it's, it's so raw. It starts saying literally, these are the lines until, if someone said this in a base, she'd be kicked out, but Esther wrote it and it's in Tehillim. She says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Like, it, it continues on from there. It's a whole emotional process. It doesn't stay there, but like it's raw, raw, raw. It, she's scared and she's connecting and she's just being real with Hashem, like the most vulnerable yeah. moment. And after these three days of like, just like Hashem, I, I'm, there's nothing else. I might die, but I'm doing this. She walks in and Achashverosh, um reaches out with his scepter and he doesn't kill her. He's charmed by her. And she invites him to, uh, she invites him to, um, basically like the club, like she wants to have a drinking party with him, like wine and a nice time. She's going to wear the nice clothes. It's going to be great. You know, I'm thinking like Kim Kardashian on her Island, you know, (laughs) the (laughs) deal this is like, you know, and, um, and so there they are. And, uh, and he wants to know, like, why has she come to him? What does she want? And by the way, to this drinking party, she also invited Achashverosh's best buddy Haman. Um, and she she doesn't say she's just she's just she's just buttering him up, just being a sweetie, just you know treating the king with all this like honor, probably very seductive, you know. Um, and uh, and she says, you know, all I want is to just hang out with you some more. Will you come back tomorrow? And can we just do this again? And so he's like, yeah, of course, you know. And um, in the meantime. That night, oh, there's this crazy line. Oh my gosh, again, it gives me the chills. It says that night, the king can't sleep. And the way the word the king is read is the same. The, 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 the person reading the Megillah is supposed to slightly change the way they read it so that it sounds kind of like Rosh Hashanah. Ha-melech. And it's just like that king can't sleep. God can't sleep. We're keeping God awake. We're waking him up. Mm-hmm. God woke us up and we're waking God up. And and Achashverosh, the king down here, calls for, he can't sleep. So he calls for his books of like, who have I, who's done something nice for me that I haven't rewarded. And Mordecai's name comes up. Turns out he, Mordecai tried to save him. And he's like, who's this guy, Mordecai? We haven't rewarded him. Wow. He saved my life. And, um, he calls for his advisor, you know, who's around and Haman's around and Haman's always around. Right. And, uh, he's a social climber <laughs> and, uh, Haman comes in and Ahasuerus says, listen, what would you do for, a kid, for someone that the king really wants to honor? And Haman, it says this in the Megillah, thinks in his heart, who would the king want to honor more than me? And so he says, well, what I would do is I would take a horse that belongs to the king and I would take an outfit that belongs to the king, clothes belongs to the king. And I have one of the king's top advisors walk the horse. And this guy sitting on the horse in the king's clothes through the entire city saying, this is what we do for someone that the king wants to honor. And the king goes, great, go do that for Mordecai. And Haman's like, Okay, <laughs> and so he's doing this for Mordecai, and as he's doing this, like everything is going wrong for Hama. The plot just twists for this guy. And um, and he's, he's walking through the streets and, and there's this one uh, uh, commentary that explains that people used to use chamber pots at the time. There's a chamber pot emptied on his head while he's walking Mordecai through the street by accident. It's his daughter. She totally doesn't mean to do this. I'm sure he wasn't exactly the warmest of fathers, right? Um, So, so I'm sure she doesn't mean to do this, but, but this is what she does. And, and he's just, he's a mess. And right that night, right after doing this morning, he has to clean up quickly, run to the, you know, the King's like, you know, like drinking party, you know, back into club and, 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 and the King says to Esther, they're all there. They're all lying around, they're all drinking. And, and the King says to Esther, honey, honey, what, what can I do for you up to half of my kingdom? I would give, you know, he's like really into it. And, uh. And Esther says, listen, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even bother you if, if it wasn't for, for, it wouldn't even be worth troubling the King if it weren't for the fact that, you know, this is the, my, my entire people. But, and she basically, she says that, that, that she and her entire people are about to be murdered and the King freaks out and he's like, who would dare to do this? And she turns to Haman and she says, Haman, hurrah, Haze, Haman, this evil man. And the king is so upset. He loses it so completely. He doesn't even react. He leaves. He takes a breather. He just needs to like take some deep breaths. I don't even know. He's probably having a panic attack. And in the meantime, Haman is like, he loses it because this is an ancient ruler. This is death, immediate death. And he, he turns to Esther and he's like, please, he's begging for his life. And he trips and he falls over Esther. They're on these like sort of like chaise long couches. And it looks like he's trying to physically seduce, attack, like do something sexual with Esther. And the king walks in, in that moment and he says, would you try to conquer my wife with me in the house? And it's like, that is it for Haman. And uh, there's an advisor of the king who some people say is uh, Daniel from, you know, from another book, you know, character coming in from another. And he says, but, but it might have been Daniel, might have not been. And he says, he says, yeah, by the way, did you know that Haman had built this, uh, this, this, uh, this, uh, what do you call it? Uh, gallows. Uh, da- gallows, right. We're just gaming This gallows for Mordechai, the guy who saved your life. That's who Haman is. And the king's like, hang him on it. So you'd think that would be the end of the story. The king gives Haman's properties, which are extensive to Mordechai, elevates Mordechai to his advisor the queen is you know beloved unto everybody um, And you think that would be the end of the story but it's not the end of the story and I think was right <laughs> the end of the story is that Mordecai, and is that Esther and Mordecai go back to uh, go back to the king and say so can we revoke the decree the decree for this holocaust and this king it's not like he's turned into a good guy this king is like anything written by the hand of the king cannot be revoked because you know those are the rules like who who wrote the rules Anyway, like, so, um, so that's what he says. So, that, so, but, he's, but he says, listen, you can write another decree and you could take my seal and you could say it's in my name. And so Esther and Mordecai write another decree saying that the Jews can fight back. And this shakes the kingdom. Everyone realizes through these events of Mordecai and Esther coming to power and this second decree being written about the Jews being able to fight back, that the, things have changed. The Jews are now... Have a different status. And the horrifying day comes when the Holocaust is supposed to begin and the Jews fight back. They don't take anyone's property, nothing, they just defend their lives. Um, they don't, it's it's forbidden to murder. I guess it's sort of, thank you, Captain Obvious, but you can kill someone in self defense. And they do, because a lot of people are trying to kill them. And uh, that's porn. That's for. What we celebrate is, you know how they say uh, if you had a time machine, you'd go back and kill the guy who was worse than Hitler, and then no one would ever know you did it because no one would know his name. That's what this was. This was the time machine. It was going to be a Holocaust. It was going to be worse than the Holocaust because it was going to be everybody. And that was what was prevented. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate on Purim.
0: Wow, you're an amazing storyteller. I love the way that you tell the story. It's so engaging. It's so interesting to listen to. And it's <laughs> and it's 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 an interesting story to tell, even. You know, this it's chock full of information. And I'm so glad now we have we really we really have the broad view and we even have some of the details. And we even know the reason now that we're celebrating Purim. Like we're really, really avoided. The Jews really avoided a Holocaust, which was major. It's major. It was a significant um uh, turning point in history. Really, it was at this point for the Jews. You know, um, I mean, there's so much more to the Purim story than meets the eye. And one element that always sticks to my mind, sticks out of my mind, is that God's name is never even mentioned once in the Megillah. And the Megillah, just so in case people don't know, that's the scroll that uh, the story of Esther is written on. It's just one scroll and the Megillah is written in parchment and the parchment is wrapped around the scroll. So God's name is never mentioned once in the Megillah. And God seems to be hidden as the story unfolds. But the irony is that he was there all along every Step of the way, so I want to see if you can please delve deeper into this this concept of God's concealed presence within the Purim story.
1: Wow, Um, that is uh, that is so beautiful, and the truth is, I think that uh, I think it's best expressed by um, the idea that it says the Jews took on the Torah at Mount Sinai, but we really, we really took on the Torah at during the time of Purim, because that's when we went from. It's kind of like it's kind of like when when you marry someone and you go from, oh, this is my trophy husband and he does everything I like. And when he doesn't, we have big fights and Shannarish lasts for 10 years, you know, or whatever it is, which you know everyone goes through. Everyone goes through. That's totally normal. I, I'm joking, but it's it's normal. When you go from that stage to this guy needs to do what I want so I feel good about the relationship, to this is us. This is us just like I'm forgiving with myself and okay. Like, this is my life. This is my silly little life. And I like myself. And sometimes I don't like myself and whatever. Sometimes I'm a slav, and sometimes I'm like with it, but I'm me and I'm me. I'm, I am my own me. I don't have another me, the marriage, hopefully, you know, if you're able to get through the, the challenging stages of of, of startup stages, you know, it gets to the point where it's like, this is us. And okay. Like we're together. It's us, you know? And, uh, so that's what forum did for God and the Jewish people. It went from, okay, God, show, show, show me, show me, show me the miracles, show me where you are. I want to see, prove it, you know, all the sea splitting stuff and all the, you know, moving into the, you know, moving into Israel and all the big explicit open miracles to nah, like sean has got our back. Like, it's not about the big showy flashy, like I'm here <laughs> to, no, he's, he's really here. Like, he's really here for me. Like, Hashem's here for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was what Purim was all about. And that's kind of what our lives are about, <laughs> to be honest.
0: And I totally agree. I love, I love tying Purim and the things that we learn from the Jewish holidays into our lives. Are you able to go like a little, a little bit deeper into that? Because that is so special. You're right. Hashem was there during the Purim story and he's always there in our lives every day. Do you want to just make maybe a little bit expand on that?
1: Sure. Um, there's a class that I, I really enjoy teaching. Uh, I'm invited to sub in seminaries from time to time. And, uh, I like teaching a class about, uh, what Jews mean when Jews say the word God. And, uh, it's an hour long class, you know, to can be squished into half an hour, but definitely not like a one sentence thing. But the, 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 if I, if I had to give like sort of one, one moment, one gist of it, it would be that a lot of people think of God as here, like God's I'm here and God's here and I'm having a relationship, but, um, if you really look into the Jewish sources and you explore what Jews mean when Jews say God, it's quite different than any other religion or theology. Um, and it's really more like here, like God's more like here in the sense that when you turn on, I don't know, Spotify or any other streaming platform, there's something streaming, there's something streaming the music. Like, I don't know where that is, but it's streaming it. So yeah. God's streaming you, <laughs> like you are being streamed now, like, you can change your thoughts, you can change what you are thinking about, you can change, you know, if you have, like, if you take some time, you can change your emotions, you know, try to move yourself from joy to sadness, you know, or, or sadness to joy or whatever's appropriate for the moment, but depending on whether you're at a shiva or at a, at a wedding, you know, um, you can change uh, anything, you can change anything about your physical being today, almost anything at all. Um, but, but the you who is looking out behind your eyes, the you in you who is the one doing the thinking or doing the feeling or um, experiencing your physical reality or living in your body, you can't turn you off and you can't turn you on you. Your consciousness itself has a source and that source is new. That that source is something that really likes you a lot. And so it's making you be. So that's, that's quite hidden. (laughs) There's nothing that's more hidden than that. Um, but there's also nothing that's more more present and more revealed if we're able to just take a moment and recognize just just feel that it's something that you can check it's checkable you know like am i street am i making myself me and me am i making myself be Mm-mm. I'm, I'm just i'm not
0: wow it's so incredible i've never heard it put quite this way i'm, I'm like i'm internalizing you're right. There's. We, yeah we are being streamed because god is creating the world every single second and by by virtue he's creating us every single second and he's creating you know he's creating the go everything that we do every single second and it's just so interesting you know the, the the way that you put it because i never you know we always think about it like we're in control of ourselves we're the ones who are doing it you know us 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 but really there's something behind us there's a there's a what did you say the, the you behind the you right is that what you said I think that, you know,
1: I I would want to make a distinction between our choices because certainly we're accountable for our choices. We're making choices. Like the moment you're there, which is every moment you're accountable for your life. But the fact that you are there in the first place, not what you look like, you could choose that, not even what you're thinking about. You can actually choose that, you know, to an extent, but the, the, you doing the thinking or the feeling you didn't, you're not making, you're not making that. And so that's, that's pretty incredible. It's, uh, it just, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different sources that go into it, but, but one way that, you know, one way that you can connect to this idea is that there's many titles uh, for Hashem that we, you know, that we give in the Torah. Hashem, Hashem is referred to by many different names and those represent different kinds of relationships, you know, whether the relationship between a child and a mother or a relationship between a child and a father, or a relationship between a husband and a wife you know, um, or a, a person, a person, you know, who's being judged and the judge or, you know, many other, many other different kinds of relationships. Um, but the most, the name that's considered, the title is considered the most essential, the closest we can get to understanding something that's truly beyond comprehension is the title uh, that's referred to, you know, the fancy name is the Tetragrammaton, uh, spelled Yud and Hey and Vav and He, which is an amalgamation of the words Haya, hove. And yeah, was is and will be the source of being. So uh, yeah, it's 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 very pleasant to relax into that into that truth, into that experience that actually there's something that's making me be me. And the second that I am, I have accountability. I, I'm making choices, but there's something making me be, and that something is really super on my side, like really likes me. Like this whole concept, like Hashem loves you as though Hashem's out here loving you. No, like Hashem's streaming you, the things you want the most, like that, the very source of that desire, that, that whatever, like Hashem's on your side more than anything or anyone more than you can imagine. It's, it's hard to talk about these things without going into it at greater length. But I think that Purim speaks to that, the fact that that hidden reality, that's, omnipresent, you know?
0: I totally agree. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because I do, I feel, I feel like um, it's very real. It's very relatable and it's a very powerful concept. So thank you. So I know that we talked about a little bit, you know, about God being hidden in Purim as one of the themes, but there are other themes in in the Purim story. You know, um, there's joy because um, Purim is in the month of Adar and we're supposed to elevate our joy in Adar. There's a unity of the Jewish people that they were saved from this Holocaust. There's a survival of the Jews. And there's so many different themes. So I, I want to see if maybe there's another theme or two that you want to talk about in Purim.
1: Wow. Um, well, Purim's a lot of fun and fun is my thing. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. I like that. I found it a hundred fun things because fun's actually really, really important. And, uh, we live in a culture that relates to fun as trivial and as, uh, optional and as a, uh, unnecessary luxury. And it's, that's, that's just not supported by the data. It's just not, that's just not factual. Um, especially for women, gosh, it's just not factual. Like fun, uh, fun is about, uh, adventure. It's about connection. It's about safety. It's about creativity. Um, that's what most people mean when they say fun. Uh, and those experiences are critical to maintaining our wellness, our basic, I mean, really our sanity as people. Um, and a lot of these things are sort of orchestrated for us. Uh, when we're kids through institutions that we're a part of like there's you know a lot of people i know the high school lunchroom is supposed to be like a negative experience but so a lot of people you know like i remember when i was a student and i was on the big campus and she'll have it in marasha and i gotta tell you lunchroom was amazing like we were having so much fun in the dorms like we were staying up all night like eating these like cheap chocolate wafers all night and, like laughing and dancing and then learning <laughs> the best of our lives all day and like it was so much fun and um human connection friendships um, a sense of newness, a sense of hope and possibility. These are the things that make us able to, first of all, carry the heavy things that we really do carry and that we are, we are charged with the great honor of carrying, you know, life is sometimes real hard, And that is a responsibility and an honor that we're charged with. And we, we must equip ourselves to do so. And um, secondly, that's the fuel to do something new, wonderful, you know, um, possibility. So I think Purim, I think Purim's all about that. I think Purim is all about seeing things from the new point of view, getting outside the box, you know, um, connecting on a deeper level with each other, with ourselves, with Hashem,
0: I love that. And I love the way that you that you feel like fun is so important because you're right. It is important to like to human beings. We're human. you know. We need to have fun because that enlivens us and empowers us to help others, to help ourselves, to, to bring more joy and light to the world. So I, I, I know it's not exactly the topic of important, but because you brought it up and because I think it's so important and because you do it so well and you're such a joyful, cheerful mm-hmm. person. How? how how because it so made people have so much trouble bringing that joy and the cheer and the fun in their lives because like as you said, life is hard. people get sick, people lose jobs people have you know all different kinds of issues and problems and relationships and this and that so like how how do you do this joy thing?
1: That's such a great question and um, the truth is that it's just like anything else it takes uh, an, an effort it takes investment it takes commitment and it takes it takes some time uh, so, as an example, I must've been in my early thirties when I realized I really want to prioritize my female friendships. Like I want to have a robust, uh, active crew that I can chill with and turn to when I'm going through a hard time. Like I realized like there's a whole genre of, um, books and movies that I refer to, excuse me, as friendship porn, which is like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this concept of like oh like the yaya sisterhood or the sisterhood of the traveling but it's like oh everyone has their crew and i'm like everyone but me like everyone but like most of the people i know that are like kind of isolated and lonely and getting burnt out as we get into our 30s yeah and i realized like built now i could say thank god like i have crew <laughs> awesome i like that. awesome crew because i invested time i made time i chose to apportion The time to go out and get to know and spend time. And uh yeah, like people will say, I don't have time. And it's a choice, like it's a choice what to do with your time. And it's extremely rewarding. When you build a relationship, that relationship comes through for you. So um, so it's just like anything else, you know, taking the time to create and maintain friendships. And a hundred fun things is just making that a little easier for people because we run events and trips and my course, The Artist's Way, where people can have places to go to chill out and make friends and connect with one another. And just a super non-judgmental, positive, healthy, creative uh, atmosphere. And um, I think it's really important. So
0: I love that. It's it's healthy. It's healthy for the soul. It really is fun is healthy for the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine like, you know,
1: imagine a universe of women, men too, but you know, we're women So imagine a world full of women that are just buoyant, that just like have got a lot of koach. It's like, we're okay. Like we got our girls, we got our thing. We're going to this thing next week. It's going to be awesome. It's fun. (laughs) I did this thing like a few days ago. It was so great. And like, imagine that, like, imagine like, yeah, like you're feeling good. You're okay. As opposed to like, oh my God, another day, (laughs) you know, like, obviously there's a lot of gray area in between those extremes and we're all kind of trying to figure out our own next steps. but at least having the vision to aim for the idea that, oh no, 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 friendships and fun really matter. They're not just like, oh yeah, okay, when I have the time. Like at least setting that as a a mental note, as a priority, that's already a game changer, you know? Because culture and society do not do that for us.
0: True, you're right, yes. Wow. That's good advice. It's very good advice. So thank you. It's Yeah, friendships and connections, they make life more meaningful, they make life more joyful, and you have people to go through life with. You know, you can lean on them, they can lean on you, and you can, even more importantly, you could have fun together and enjoy life together. It's really great. So now getting back to the fun of Purim, because now now we're really going to get into the really fun portion of Purim, because on Purim, it's customary for Jews to fulfill four mitzvot, four commandments. So it's the hearing the Megillah being read, Giving Mishlof my note, which are baskets of food and drink, uh, my matanot, no, my note, neem I know I'm saying it wrong. I'm, i I apologize. But those that was giving money to the poor and having a poor suya a meal. So, can you please explain to us in depth what each of these mitzvahs mean and why they're so important? Sure, and you pronounced it beautifully. You Thank
1: go, you. <laughs> you go. You're awesome. You. Um, well, I'll tell you right before right before we spoke i turned to my husband rabbi and bender who's also he's 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 like low-key famous for jerusalem therapy which is his website and he's on facebook and everything and he's my best friend oh no i'm so sorry see only human it's and all good i'm going to turn it off no problem there see it's humanizing me oh i no always worries. say i never get any phone calls unless i'm getting interrupted from something else outside of that silence but um In any case, I was asking him and I was saying, okay, what, you know, can you tell me more about these four mitzvahs? Because they're all so beautiful in and of themselves, you know, giving, giving, uh, giving tzedakah, you know, upholding the community, people who are in need, making sure they're taken care of because we're all in that position at some point and in some way. So tzedakah is not about charity. It's not about, oh, I'm such a good person. It's about the fact that like, you know, you're down, sometimes I'm down and we hold each other up. You know, 100%. that's what the is. It's justice. It's upholding a, a, a healthy community takes care of one another. Um, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, um, you know, having the Suda and giving, you know, all these things are beautiful thing, like reading the Gila, like, you know, reading, reading the story of Purim, like keeping up with the times in a sense, like remembering that is, that is the, the spiritual energy that exists at that time that we can really ride the wave. We can get on the wave if we're aware of what's going on. All those things make sense. But I was asking him, why do we do those things specifically now in connection to Purim? Um, and he said, it's about rebellion, which I loved because I am a rebel at heart. He said, <laughs> just like uh, Ahashverus tried, um, tried to destroy Haman and Ahasuerus tried to destroy the Jewish body. Um, the, the Holocaust at that time was going to be physical. They wanted to kill us physically. Yes. Our rebellion was, uh, was our, our, tshuva was spiritual. We responded by spiritually, um, you know, really coming close to Hashem. But what we did, the, the mitzvahs that we celebrate are almost like a, you know, it's like a slap in the face. It's saying, yeah, you wanted to kill us physically. Here we are having a nice glass of wine. Happy Purim HaShverosh. You know, and we're taking care of the poor. We're upholding our communities. We're giving gifts. We're giving candy out to one another. We're baking hamantashen. How about that, Haman? How do you like that hamantashen, Haman? <laughs> so you know, that's what it's about. It's about this sense of like fun rebellion, which like I yeah you know, I, I I love any day. That sounds great to me. So. <laughs>
0: Wow. I I never thought of it like that. I've never heard that perspective. It's such an interesting perspective. I love that. I love that. And I also yeah. like the perspective of justice, you know, just because I have, and you don't have, doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're better than me or anything. It's that justice It's the scale that you were saying, because then who knows what's going to be tomorrow. And really, who knows what's going to be tomorrow, you know, yeah. totally. you know, um, and this is just, it's Jews helping each other. And like, we really all are one big family. The Jews are such, wherever you go in the world, there's always a Jew. And when you find them, you're like, you know, my people. <laughs> I just came back from, from a trip. I, my, I went with my son to Costa Rica and we were, we were trying to figure out who were the Jewish people. And every time we found one, we felt like a sense of relief because we felt like we weren't alone, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah, it's such a fun feeling. Like when you're in an airport, you yes. know, and you see the one Jew and you're like, my guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. My husband called me on the phone. Are there any other Jews there? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking. I'm like, okay, there's one over there. 100. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so true. We are one big family. Um, and so now, now here's more fun. One of the reasons that so many people find Purim to be so much fun is because we get to dress up in costumes. So can you please explain to us the reason why we wear costumes on Purim?
1: Sure. I mean, the joke about Purim is that, that when, that's when people take off their costumes you know, and they reveal like, you know, they reveal that the inner, the inner fairy princess or, you know.
0: Okay. <laughs> the crown, ready.
1: beautiful, ready. I love it. <laughs> We're ready. And what, well, ordered these, some wings. Oh, cool. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be him, for me without wings and a crown. So. look at the fairy, I love it. <laughs> you know that's the joke that people reveal reveal their inner their inner you know little fun self but um, i think it's just about the fact that i think it's about the fact that um, we can sort of get in on the joke of this funny world how everyone is you know wearing these costumes these roles that we play all day you know with each other even God, like even God is sort of playing a role with us. Like, okay, no, I'm your judge. No, I'm doing this. And it's like, but really like, you know, Rabbi Kellerman, Rabbi Leib Kellerman says that death is the reality filter. And that when we get to the next world, we just, it's just clarity. It's just like, oh, this is how it really is. All oh, right, And um, the next world's all about just hanging out. It's, it's about being in love. It's about connecting, you know? Um, Rav, uh, Rav Shlomo Volba of Keliman's Rebbe, Mm -hmm. um, who has a straight, a straight line uh, from the founder of the Muslim movement, Rabbi Shal Salanter. So this is some real pure, 100% unfiltered Torah, you know. Um, He explains that the most important thing in life is time well wasted. In other words, interesting, okay. Yeah, yeah, not my words, his words. And he says, like, we, we think that we're sort of brainwashed by the world today to think that the real important meaningful things in life are what we do in terms of like all these titles we have, all these little costumes, the hats we wear, you know, I got to go out and I got to be the CEO or I got to make sure the thing gets done or I got to, you know, get to get to that, get to that grocery store and buy the ingredients for the five course meal or, you know, whatever it is, whatever we're trying to accomplish. And we think like, oh, we come home to our family, you know, and that's where we are like Shabbos. And like, that's where we rest in order to recharge for like real life. But, and we think that the time that like, you know, say like someone's married and she's sitting on the couch with her husband at the end of the day. And they're like, shooting the breeze and kind of giggling together and like talking about their day. And that's like the trivial thing. That's like wasting time you know, and at most, at most, it has value in that it's giving them, you know, a little energy to get back to real life. And that's just totally upside down. Like, it's just not true. And we'll see that one day. We'll have total clarity about that one day because life is for love. That's what the Torah says. And so it's actually like that, that time that we're just hanging out with the people we love, you know, whether that's a spouse or our kids, you know, um, or our friends, you know, connecting just connecting
0: you're right and Th- so my, those are my start. favorite times I totally agree yes yeah like
1: that's that's what we do all the other stuff for like the purpose of the six days of the week is Shabbos it's not that on Shabbos we rest up for the week it's that the whole week we prepare for Shabbos <laughs> and it's so easy to forget that so I think like we're always wearing these funny costumes and we're all we're always like, oh, and here I go and I'm doing my thing. And I'm part of it. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a shameful thing. I'm making, I'm, I'm making a joke, but not because it's ugly or shameful, but we can get in on the joke. I'm like the big wink of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. What are we really all doing under the skin? We're all these like little bunnies who like want to hang out and cuddle and like be like, mm, hang out. <laughs> and that's actually the most holy thing. That's actually really, really real. That's not trivial at all.
0: I agree with you. You're right. You know, it's so much. It's so interesting that you say that, because the more I think about, you know, my life and moments in my life and times in my life, those are like just the times I'm hanging out. Like last night, my my son had his friends over. It it was he had them over during Shabbos, but then they came over again after Shabbos and they were just hanging out. They're such good boys are just hanging out. And my daughter was doing something. The other one was up in her room. I was in the kitchen. I was making some chicken soup and it was just so nice and so normal but yet so meaningful like those were the special moments versus me going from point A to point B to that because i'm always bouncing all over the place i i when i wake up in the morning it's like i'm being shot out of a cannon like i am just going you know and that's not what i love i mean yes of course i do it and yes of course things have to get done and yes i do them but that's not what it's about and i love that you just pointed that out you're right it's it's, it's not that life is about love and connecting with others. and I feel like there's there's a theme now, you know, like we've talked about Purim and how all the Jews are connected and they were all working together to save themselves. And they did it through this, you know, yes. the prevention of this Holocaust. And then you're talking about like friendships and connecting through friendships and, and doing fun things. And now we're talking about, you know, connecting, just connecting to each other, doing the fun, you know, just normal times that we spend with each other. So I'm seeing a theme emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And now i want to ask you an interesting question because i know people are wondering this whenever we talk about purim somebody always asks this question so i want to have it answered for them alcohol and purim so jews drink alcohol and purim could you please explain that particular custom to us
1: sure sure absolutely um there's what the mitzvah is like the halacha and then there's the way that people sometimes erroneously interpret the halacha And these things really have to be distinguished because sometimes people will make the really kind of absurd statement. I saw a religious Jew, you know, doing this horrible thing. At which point I think, well, if they did the horrible thing, I guess they're not a religious Jew. I guess they're a person wearing a hat or they're someone wearing a skirt. But if they were breaking Jewish law in such a heinous way, that means they're not religious. So... um, You know, it's important to define, like, what is actual Judaism based on halacha Jewish law and what's like, I don't know, some punk weird interpretation that people are maybe using the lingo, but it has zero relationship to Judaism at all, actually. Um, The mitzvah and Purim is to uh, drink alcohol for men specifically, uh, to drink until the way way it says, uh, until they can't distinguish between cursed is haman and blessed is mordechai what that means and what's clearly delineated um, in the sources is that the goal is to use alcohol uh as an intoxicant to reach a point of kind of like i want to say consciousness but for those who are not hippy dippies and who are like oh i'm not into all that consciousness stuff can you just talk my language i'm talking like but you're feeling relaxed you know you've got a nice buzz on And you really can sort of emotionally connect to the idea that no matter what is happening on the world stage, because, you know, especially lately, we've seen how crazy politics can get, um, no matter what's happening on the world stage, there is a source. There's someone running the show who is uh, laughing behind the scenes, not in a mean way, not laughing. You know, they say man playing God laughs. That doesn't mean God's laughing at you. It means God's sort of like chuckling, like, don't worry, I got you. I got you. I got this. It's like when you're hanging out with your best friend and you're like, "Oh my god, how's it gonna work?" And she just starts giggling because she's like, "You're gonna be amazing." Like that. <laughs> that's what it means: man plans and God's laughs. So that's the mindset we're supposed to get into. Again, that big wink—that seeing behind the mask, behind the scenes, and realizing no matter what's going on in our lives or on the world stage, like if anything reminds us, there's a bigger picture behind all those crazy details. The Poram story does. I mean. That was insane like can you imagine i cannot imagine living through that that's that's a crazy series of events yeah um it's like almost like i mean i'm just thinking out loud here this is not prepared but it's almost like if you could imagine that like hitler had a beauty contest and forced some jewish woman to become his like i don't know like girlfriend and then she Hung out with him in some weird German bar, and like all of a sudden the Holocaust was cancelled like that's such a strange i'm I'm a third generation survivor. My grandparents went through the camps, and so I speak of the Holocaust with the utmost respect you know and I, I I certainly don't want to trigger anybody. I'm sorry if I am, but at the same time, like that's kind of what happened like it's just so bizarre. so if anything can remind us that there's a greater picture and a a sweet, loving, chuckling, caring you know. God behind the scenes, it's Purim. And that's, that's what getting a little alcoholic buzz on and Purim is supposed to lead to, or even, you know, if someone's able to handle it and remain a refined person, getting really drunk. Like for example, you know, my husband, Rabbi Yonas Bender, like uh, the really, literally the only way I could tell is he's drunk. He gets really quiet It's because he turns to me at a certain point during the reform zone. He looks at me and he says, in sweet sweet, so sweet, I love you. I really, I really love you. And it's, It's beautiful because that's what's in his heart. You know, it says like wine goes in and secrets come out. Yeah. So I think that if someone's going through a time in their life where the secrets that are going to come out have to do with anger or have to do with really crass behavior, um, Halacha would say clearly, like Jewish law would say clearly, you shouldn't be drinking that much because we are never... (laughs) ever permitted to get to the point where we are hurting other people, where we're hurting ourselves, where, we're you know, where we're behaving in a way that's abasing, you know, our own dignity. That's definitely not, that's just not, it's not Judaism. Um, now I'll also say sometimes things get crazy in a happy way, in a good way. It doesn't mean that we all have to be sitting there, you know, like, you know, having, 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 having had a few shots and like, just like, it's a really boring party. No, it could be a crazy party. Like Purim can get crazy, but as long as it's crazy in a way that's beautiful and healthy and loving and not, not ugly or crass or uh, violent or destructive, that's, that's just not Judaism. Right. So that's what drinking on, on Purim is about. And it can, get, it, can get, it can get a lot of fun. It can be a really crazy wild party. And that's, that's fantastic, you know?
0: Right. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that because, and, and, and all the nuances also, because it's very, very important. So thank you. Yeah. And we like we're running out of time. But I have one last question I want to ask you. So because I know you live in Jerusalem, and you know celebrating Purim in Jerusalem is different than I think every, anywhere in the world. Celebrating um, Purim in Israel, I should say, is different from anywhere in the world. What is the best part about Purim in Israel? Ah, uh, okay. So what I like best is that we have two days. <laughs> oh, you do
1: in Jerusalem, well, kind of, kind of, kind of, because, um, the way it works is that, uh, and it says this in the Megillah too, that, um, that in, the, in all, all of the, around, around the world and the entire kingdom, which was, you know, a lot of places, um, the attacks against the Jews went on during a particular day and the Jews fought back and won, but in the capital city of Shushan, the fighting went on for a second day and the Jews and the Jews succeeded in defending their lives. And, um, so the, so the holiday of Purim is celebrated around the world uh, on a particular day, but it's actually the next day that it's celebrated in any city that had walls during the time of this actual historical event. So that's pretty much wherever Shushan is out there um, and uh, it's spot and Jerusalem, I think it's spot, pretty sure. Uh, and so, so it's kind of nice how uh, here in Jerusalem, uh, the kids get off for two days and wow. so the first day of Purim everybody else is partying and we're busy like making hamantaschen and you know I don't know making the mishloch minot, getting the costumes ready and stuff like that uh, and then our party starts that night and the next day some people end up doing two days of Purim because they'll go to friends and family uh, outside Jerusalem and then come here and just make it like a really long you know event Um, But I kind of like I kind of like the day before when it's sort of like you can feel the energy in the air, but it hasn't quite started yet. And then
0: our party begins. I like that myself. Thank you. Thank you for telling me because I had no idea because here I'm I'm in New York in America. It's, It's one day, you know, it's a really, really fun day, but it's only one. So it's interesting you know, to, to see, to hear it from a different perspective for two days. It's beautiful, really beautiful. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much, Reviton Bracha, for joining us on America's Top Revitons. It was truly a pleasure to have you with us. I had so much fun today and may all the learning that we did be for Fushalima, for devora Devorah, Bach, shoshana Thank you so much again.
1: Thank you.